Galatians 1, 1 through 12, from the message. I, Paul, and my companions in faith here send greetings to the Galatian churches. My authority for writing you does not come from any popular vote of the people, nor does it come through the appointment of some human higher up. It comes directly from Jesus the Messiah and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. I'm God commissioned. So I greet you with great words, grace and peace. We know the meaning of those words because Jesus Christ rescued us from this evil world we're in by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. God's plan is that we all experience that rescue. Glory to God forever. Oh, yes. I can't believe your fickleness, how easily you've turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It's not a minor variation, you know. It's completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even if an angel from heaven, were to preach something other than what we've preached originally, let him be cursed. I'll say it once. I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you've received originally, let him be cursed. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate the crowds, or curry favor with God, or get popular applause? If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. Know this. I'm most emphatic here, friends. This great message I delivered to you is not mere human optimism. I did not receive it through traditions, and I wasn't taught it in some school. I got it straight from God, received the message directly from Jesus Christ, the word of the Lord. This sermon's entitled, God's One Good Word. Obviously, God has many words, but if he has a favorite word, it's got to be grace, because in grace, it encompasses all of his other words. Do you have a favorite word? A word that maybe hovers over your life like a banner. It invisibly announces you when you enter a room. It's the thought or feeling people have when they think of you. And we know God has a word over your life. Grace. I sign off my emails with it. Grace, J-E. It's what we need. Grace is the Greek word charis, gift. It recalls the generosity of God. And in Galatians, we find grace in the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's not a sandwich, though. This letter is full of grace, and Paul is reminding the Galatians all about it because they've forgotten it. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's receiving a gift you'd never be able to afford. And grace is getting the opportunity you didn't earn. Grace is being rewarded for someone else's work. And you see, the grace from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is costly grace. It is the word that represents the whole plan of redemption leading to Jesus' death. As a precious gift, it should be held on to tightly, not forgotten, and placed at the center of our homes and our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned about this. He said, cheap grace 
is the mortal enemy of our church. Our struggle today is for costly grace. It's costly because it invites you to surrender, but it's grace because it draws you into friendship with Jesus. It's costly because this friendship will change your life. You may lose things you love. And it's grace because God infuses his life in every sphere of your existence. It's costly because it convicts your heart. And it's grace because you know and feel God's delight in your whole being. Grace can be imitated. It may look the same thing at first, but it will be eventually exposed as a sham. When I was younger, I loved Vince Carter, and I saved up my money to buy Vince Carter basketball shoes. They were silver shocks, and I felt when I put them on, I could dunk and shoot threes at will. The problem is, I sort of knew in the back of my mind, these shoes that I'd bought might be a fake. I wanted to save some few dollars, so I bought them off of eBay. And they didn't come in a Nike box, and they came from China. But I was content to pull them on and show them off on the court, lace them up, and let everybody think that I had the most expensive and technologically advanced shoes in the world. The problem is, they started falling apart. The foam of the shock started disintegrating. Maybe you've had a fake Gucci bag, an online degree, you've taken some shortcuts, and you know that eventually your carriage is going to turn back into a pumpkin at the strike of midnight. And that's what's so concerning to Paul in this letter. His churches in Galatia had substituted the real gospel for a fake, and they were in dire danger of missing out on the real thing that they had already had. And it was accessible to them right then and there. So there's a problem in Galatia. That's why this letter was written. And Paul is angry here. This letter is remarkable because Paul normally starts his letters off with a greeting, which we get, but then a thanksgiving. But not in Galatians. There's no thanksgiving section. He's replaced it with urgency. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And he says in 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? And in 4.11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And he saves his harshest for last. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law, but you've been falling away from grace. Why are you so angry, Paul? Well, he says in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So. What is this false gospel? It's by false teachers called Judaizers. They insisted that you have to perform before God accepts you. That a believer's observance of rules is what kept them in good standing with God. And they convinced the Galatians that in addition to 
faith in Jesus, everyone had to follow all the cultural rules in the Jewish law, including the rite of circumcision. Paul has his harshest words for those people, that they go the full way and emasculate themselves. Now, circumcision in the Greek is peritame, or to cut around. Basically, it means to keep the core and cut away what's frivolous, or the schmuck. And the idea was that Israel was the core, which was to be kept, and the rest of the world that didn't follow their customs was dispensable. But the gospel of Jesus says, no, all people are created by God, and all people are redeemed by the Son. Nobody should be cut off from God. Or on an individual level, it, the gospel applies like this. Every part of you is created. Every part is valued, desired, and redeemable. That you, as a whole person, are wanted by God. So, what is this real gospel? Well, it's in the greeting, verses 3 to 5. May the grace and peace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus, the Anointed, live in you. He is the very Savior who rescues us from this present perverse age, dominated by evil, by giving his life according to the Father's will to deal with our sins. May God's glorious name forever receive honor. Amen. Let me break this down for you. 1. Jesus. There's no other person and there's no other way. Remember, this is costly grace. If there was another way, Jesus wouldn't have come and died. There is only one way which we can be saved, and there's only one giver of grace, God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, to substitute that for anything else is cheap grace. And the second word I want to focus on now is rescue. Because Jesus is our Savior. I had somebody install a TV mount for me yesterday because I didn't want to drill my own holes in the wall. And when I met with him, he, we were t- chatting. He asked me if I, what I did, and I said I was a pastor. So he was very interested in this. And we started talking, and he talked to me about going to church and to cell group and Bible study and how much he loved that all. And as I chatted with him, I found out that uh, he was practicing Ramadan and that he was a Muslim. And he said to me, well, all, always go, go to God. And I said, actually, I'm actually working on this uh, for my sermon tomorrow. And what I'm stuck on is this word rescue and savior. Like if you were to say to Muhammad, you're my savior, he would say, you're a blasphemer. I'm merely a prophet. There's nobody who can save except by God. But if you said to Jesus, you're my savior, he would say, yes, my lover, my child, I'm so glad to receive you in. The other thing about rescue is we realize we need help and that we can't save ourselves. We are in need of a savior. And the means of being saved is not to save ourselves. So if somebody's drowning, you don't throw them an instruction manual how to swim. And you don't say, give them encouragement and say, you know, just swim harder. Or you don't say, "Ah, chill out, relax, or take some medicine or some other means. No, our Savior jumps in. They dive. They give their life for another. And that's who Jesus is, the Savior from sin.
And that's the next part, this, uh, that he rescues us from this perverse age, from sin. And the Bible is the revelation of what God tells us we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from sin and death. And you and I could think of a thousand things that bother us or that we need to be saved from. But when it comes down to what separates us from God, it's sin. He tells us, and he wants us to be reasonable and to see that our sins, though they be scarlet, he can make them white as wool. He knows what separates us. He knows our offense. He knows our pride and our shame, but he has a cure for that. And lastly, this is all for God's glory. This is such a good verse, and it teaches us that our salvation isn't to make us better than other people. In fact, that would be another pit to dive into that we'd need to be saved from. See, because this is all for the glory of God, it gets the focus off of ourselves. It saves us from narcissism and to save us from pride. And so, this is really what Paul's point is to the Galatian church, is that they're not better and that they should be inclusive, welcoming those who are full of sin. Well, what are the effects of this? It's in verse 5, or it's in verse 3. Grace and peace. You know, I said that God has one word, and it's grace, but what shortly follows grace is peace. They're twins. When you receive grace, you have peace, which is not the absence or serenity, but it's shalom, the fullness of life, the experience of the boundlessness of God's love. It's a contentment in all things, a life filled with faith, hope, and love. This is the gospel that Paul is calling them to. Doesn't that sound much better than following all the rules? Well, what about you today? Do you need a savior? Are you in stuck in some sort of self-destruction, even if others aren't aware of it? Paul would say, you're better off. You know you need forgiveness. You need a savior and you need help. Grace is only accessible to those who know they need it. But if you're in the other category, you think you're all right. Your soul is in a much more dangerous position. Maybe you're living a projection of yourself, some sort of cheap imitation of what God desires for you. You've substituted his plan for yours, or you've made a compromise and neither of you are happy. Have you felt the goodness of God as your only treasure? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You were once on fire. You felt close to God, but somewhere and somehow you traded your first love for something a little easier, a little less costly, and now you know this is not going to carry me anymore. That realization is an invitation to grace. Grace isn't just something that starts your life off as a Christian. It's what a real Christian needs every day to continue on the way of Jesus. So are you burnt out on religion? Are you trying to create your own worth by achievements and following all the rules? Are you trying to hide behind a mask of performance? But Jesus has an invitation for you. And let me say the word over your life today. Let me speak what the gospel has already accomplished for you. You don't have to attain God's love. You don't have to perform. You don't have to look right, 
follow some sort of stringent program or challenge or follow all those cultural rules to fit in with God. You don't have to do all that stuff with the religious crowd to be right with God. The only thing you need to do is receive. God's grace is a gift for you, and he sees you right where you are in your darkness, in your need, and your despair. And he's reached down into the darkness through his son, Jesus. Jesus has taken the rescue initiative and lived and died so that you may know him. His message has been amplified and his invitation has spread over the world, reaching every generation so that you today could hear and know your value in his presence. And he's made a way for you to be united in him. The gospel is this. We are more wicked and fragmented than we know, but we're more loved and being made whole in the life of Jesus, our Savior and our friend. He's reaching out to you today. Will you reach out to him? Jesus, we believe in your cross. We believe you paid the price that you rose on the third day in victory, that life is greater than sin and death, and that you offer us yourself, your fellowship, your forgiveness, and your mercy. And so today, we ask for a new start, a new grace in our lives, that we would live in your peace, trusting you that you've done everything needed for our salvation. You've won it. And you've captured us with your heart. You are full of boundless love. And we trust in you. Amen. Thanks for listening until the end. If you'd like me to pray for you, you can send me an email at j, that's the letter j, at boundlessvancouver.ca. Bless you.